Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Chris Parliament today. On Tuesday's show, we highlighted the slight difference between Alex Ovechkin's goal scoring ability against that of the 12 forwards in the Sens lineup that night. And well, you know, Ovi outscored them all in the Capitals 6-1 victory over Ottawa. We'll break that all down. And I was in Belleville for last night's tough 3-2 loss that the baby Sens suffered after going up early 2-0 against the Utica Comets. What that means in the tight North Division standings ahead of an upcoming eight-game, 16-day road trip, and more on today's edition of the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is January 9th, and Carly, hot take alert, Alex Ovechkin is good at scoring goals. Just as good as Timu Solani was as he tied him for 11th all-time with his 683rd and 684th goals of his career. It was pretty fitting. We mentioned in Tuesday's episode how close it really was between Ottawa's 12 forwards and Alex Ovechkin. Uh, Fittingly, not only his Russian comrade, Artem Anisimov, opening the scoring for Ottawa, but he was the senator with the most goals in the lineup. Only, uh, hmm... 510 less than Ovechkin. It was his 171st uh, career goal. Uh, he was on a line with Balser, so it was nice to see Rudy Balser's kind of tickle the uh, the score sheet, getting an assist, a, a primary assist on the goal. Just a nice little turnover in the neutral zone, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's nice to see he they were able to jump on that one because we talked about it, how maybe it wasn't great that Rudy Balsers was down on the fourth line, but he was playing with Anisimov and Amesnikov. So, I mean, there was still some playmaking ability there, and funny enough, we got into it that day that Anisimov was career-wise the best point getter. So, yeah, you mentioned it was fitting. I think, thought it was pretty funny when I saw the uh, Anisimov goal go in. I don't know the exact number. I want to say it was 2014, the last time the Ottawa Senators won a game in Washington. Seems like just one of those arenas. And, oh, man, I can just hear over and over again that siren when they score. I don't know if it's from watching Ovi highlight packs or just from watching Sens games. It feels like they get blown up every time they're in that building. Yeah, it's a tough building to go into, especially when they have the teams they've had the last couple of years opposed to the teams Ottawa's had the last couple of years. But there's no... There's no uh, denying that Washington is a sports town. I mean, they have great fan base over there, and why wouldn't they be? I mean, we mentioned 683 and 684 goals they've got to see Ovechkin put in over their career. It's crazy how, I mean, maybe they weren't such a big sports town when he got there, but how like a polarizing figure and a generational goal scorer can just absolutely turn a town crazy over hockey. Yeah, same thing happened in Pittsburgh. They were almost ready to move and, and be sold, and then they won the draft lottery. We'll get into our tankathon later, our little spin on the lottery. Is, uh, you know, San Jose still looks like they're plummeting, but that'll be later. Let's stick with the Washington game, and Dylan DeMello returned his first game since December 11th. While he was gone, you really realized how big a role he fills in Ottawa. He played 26 minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, what do you think that'll do here for the confidence of the team going forward? And Ottawa doesn't have a win in their last five games either. And since they won nine of uh, seven of nine, rather between November seventh and twenty second, they've only got five wins in twenty games. And it what it does for me the most it, when you look at it is it was kind of a revolving door. You had Thomas Shabbat playing thirty minutes a night, Cody Golubev playing twenty five. Exactly. He kind of and. 
it was going to switch up. It was kind of it wasn't always the same guy on the right side for Thomas Shabbat. What this allows is a guy that he can be a running mate with, and they can play the full game together. And they have a little bit of history playing together a full season a couple years ago. So, I mean, what it does is just adds a little bit of stability, not only for the back end as a whole, but where Thomas Shabbat goes with the puck, who he's playing with. He always knows kind of where the guy's going to be. I think it's going to make a big difference for him. Yeah, certainly. And being able to have a steady partner, a la Mathot to Carlson, it may, makes such a difference. So hopefully uh, this is a good sign of things to come with DeMello being back in the lineup full time. Although one comes in, one goes out. Although not on the back end, the Sens did suffer another injury. It's tough because I thought Nick Paul was starting to play some really good hockey. He had that stretch right when he came up where he was a man amongst boys, really using his size and, and physical ability. And then you know, as maybe one would expect, it regressed back to the norm. But he really started playing well over these past few games. He uh, left this one, did not return. Sounds like it'll be at least two weeks with a leg or ankle injury. That was reported by Bruce Garriock on Twitter. But if it's an ankle, there's no way it's only two weeks, right? Probably it's going to be closer to a month. Yeah, it looked pretty ugly when he went down. Uh, it's tough to say when it comes to ankle or knee, and that's what I think why NHL teams do that. Oh, it's ankle or knee. But it's kind of happened at a time where you got a guy like Batherson and Rudy Balser's up. So, I mean, if you want to look at the positives in a situation that's pretty negative for a guy like Nick Paul, maybe Rudy Balser's and Drake can hop up and play more minutes, get more of a chance on the power play. But I agree, it's tough for Nick Paul because this guy, it's been tough sledding professionally for him. He's still very young, but what he's had to go through, the big trade, he was kind of the big piece coming back in that Jason Spezza deal, and a a lot of uh, eyes were put on him to succeed and succeed right away. Obviously, that wasn't the case, but this year he kind of, uh, you know, he was told to find a home in Ottawa. He became an NHLer this year. So, yeah, it's it's tough to see a guy like that go down, but uh, hopefully two weeks is uh, right around where he'll be back in the Sens lineup. The Ottawa Senators have already had practice today as we record on Thursday, January 9th. And these are the lines you'd expect to see for a rare Friday game tomorrow in Detroit. Uh, Duclair moved off the top line. He's uh, on a line with Anisimov and Drake Batherson. Pajot still centering with Brady Kachuk. Connor Brown, familiar to that line. He'll be back up there. Then you mentioned Balsers was playing on the fourth line. Now he's playing with White and Ennis in a line that I'm going to be excited to watch because that's three water bugs out there who really like to get the puck down low and, and use their edges well. And then Tierney, Nemesnikov, and it looks like Scott Sabarin will drop back into the lineup on as the uh, fourth line in Detroit, a team with some uh, toughness for sure. We're not going to speculate on defense because Boro took a maintenance day. Uh, he is expected, however, to be in the lineup tomorrow. Cody Golubev was the odd man out. A little bit of a surprising move. While we recorded on Tuesday, we were uh, speculating that it would be Andreas Englund or even Christian Yarosh. Yarosh did leave the game, didn't return, but he will be good to go tomorrow. Um, that was just a precautionary thing. So I guess the only real interesting in, or intrigue, I should say, is that we're not sure who will come out of the lineup uh, in that case. But what do you think of the of the forward lineups uh, going into tomorrow? Uh, they had to shake something up after a 6-1 loss. For sure, you got to. And going back to what's worked for them in the past is with Pajot, Brown, and Kachuk, I think not only um, brings some familiarity back to it, but also uh, creates a bit of a shutdown line because although Detroit's been struggling lately, we know that top line can go off at any time. So you're, you've got something that you can kind of... Uh, 
you can return the punch with, I guess, in that situation with Pajot and Brown up there and Kachuk obviously playing physically. Uh, I like that second line, how it looks right now. Uh, Batherson playing with a guy like Duclair, uh, where he's just going to be all over the gas pedal. I think that's going to be exciting for Drake to come in and have a situation where he's got a winger that can kind of create offensively the way he can. And it, it uh, might be like a bit of an Abramov situation who he was comfortable playing with down on the uh, American League level. So it's exciting to see where he'll be able to go with the guy who's cre- created consistently for Ottawa this year in Duclair. And you mentioned it, took the words right out of my mouth with that white balsers and Ennis line. They're all kind of play the same way. So hopefully that'll stand out as an energy line for DJ Smith. You know, you can go out there and get some things going in the offensive zone and uh, create some energy for the rest of the line. So I think out of those three lines, the top nine that I just mentioned there, I'm definitely very excited. And man, oh man, do I want to see Colin White get going somehow. I like that DJ Smith's given him a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different looks to find some sort of chemistry or consistency because he's lacking that in his game right now. Yeah, he certainly is. And as Drake Batherson goes, be f- nice and familiar to see him play against the Detroit Red Wings. You might remember he scored his first goal in his first NHL game against Detroit, although that game was in Ottawa. Tomorrow they'll be playing in Detroit, a team who's only, as we mentioned, won four of their last 24 games. But can we get some stick taps for them? Because two of those wins came against the Montreal Canadiens. Another one, a shutout victory over the San Jose Sharks. Every point the Sharks don't get is a win for the Ottawa Senators. So we'd like to thank the Detroit Red Wings for that. Although, in terms of the Tankathon, I don't think anybody is going to catch Detroit for last. They're uh, more than 10 points clear right now, uh, already through halfway halfway through the season. And I think mo- more impressively than any of that, is their goal differential. Oh my God, is it uh, abysmal. Like, the Ottawa Senators, minus 31, not great. Second worst, third worst in the Eastern Conference, New Jersey's minus 39. The Detroit Red Wings are a minus 72 goal differential through 44 games. That is on its way to history, I would say. Um, What are you expecting from the opponent? Hey, they've won one out of their last one game. We can't say that. They defeated Montreal on Tuesday. Every winning streak's got to start somewhere, right, Ross? But yeah, this goal differential is just atrocious. 168 goals against opposed to 96-4. If you look around the Eastern Conference, they're the only team that hasn't scored 100 goals yet either. So, I mean, it's tough for them. Um, I can't even say it's going to be tough sledding heading into their barn with a with a record like that, it's not surprising to say that they're only 7-14-1. I don't know what it is going on in Detroit right now. There's some bad contracts that are kind of holding them back from grabbing some guys that potentially would want to go there. Um, but yeah, this year is going to be tough, and it looks like they're going to they're gonna win the Alexi Lafreniere sweepstakes if the balls fall in their favor come lottery time. Yeah, and I don't think Steve Eisman would be upset about that. He, he wants to start fresh the, the way it's been going and stagnating in Detroit over the last few years after uh, quite a successful run with uh, Steve Eisenman at the helm on the ice for that. He wants to put them back into that uh, from the executive suite going forward, but knows there'll be some pain on the way. Belleville Senators, let's get into uh, the B-Sens. We'll start with the good, then get to the bad. Uh, the good is that Josh Norris had a goal and an assist. He extends his point streak to nine games. He's got nine goals over that stretch, add four assists for 13 points. What I love is the way he generates shots. He's got 35 shots in his last nine games. So do the math on that one. That's putting the biscuit on net. Um, 
So 20 goals, that's great in 35 games. But if you remember, he went pointless in his first four pro games coming off uh, his shoulder injury over the offseason. So that's 20 goals in 31 games. Pretty impressive, eh, Parley? Very impressive. And where he's getting those shots from are impressive as well. Uh, lots of coverage last night. If you don't follow on Belleville Senators on Instagram, that's where I get a lot of my Belleville highlights. And, man, that shot where he just drops to a knee, it was on and off his stick in a hurry. Looks like a pro shot. Uh, he's getting them where he's getting shots in places where he's going to generate. And obviously that's been working out for him. He's 20 goals this year. And wow, he, he's starting to put it together pretty consistently, consistently, as you mentioned, nine game point streak. He's got nine goals in that. Uh, he looks like at this, at this point, he doesn't need a guy like Drake Batherson on his wing to uh, generate for him. He's the guy driving the play down the middle. So it's pretty impressive to see what he's doing. And again, if you don't follow him, Belleville Senators on Instagram, go watch that goal because it's a lot of fun to watch on a loop. Yeah, Josh Norris uh, sets up on the the top of the right circle, typically on the power plays, a left-hand shot. So it gets that one-timer in good position. That's where he got his assist as well. Um, it was a one-timer where his stick shattered and then Alex Formanton uh, was able to shovel it back home. They're one and two in the entire American Hockey League amongst rookies in goal scoring. Norris, his 20th, as we've mentioned, and Formanton quietly with 16 goals. So that's pretty impressive. And getting back to Norris's 20, he's third in the entire American Hockey League in goals. First, Gerard Mayhew in Iowa, and two, Reed Boucher with 21 in uh, Utica, the team that beat them last night. But the difference is Mayhew's 27, Boucher's 26. That makes Norris doing this at the age of 20 in his rookie season all that more impressive. I've been advocating that he get a look in the National Hockey League at some point, maybe after the trade deadline. Um, But we we put up a poll, I think, at the start of the season. Uh, Maybe it was at the end of last season at Send Central on Twitter where we were wondering because when the trade was made, it seemed like Norris was the better of the two prospects between him and Balsers. But... When Balsers was playing well in the NHL, I put the poll up saying, "Does it has it changed your opinion? And it was about 50-50, but I think now that Norris has kind of taken this next step, you, would you say that Norris is back to being the, the crown jewel of the trade outside of, of course, that 2020 first-round pick? Yeah, and I think what skewed a lot of people was the injury to Norris last year because a lot of people were very high on him, the way he was putting a puck in the net for Michigan last year and how well he was playing down there. And then, of course, the injury right around World Junior time where it knocked him out for the rest of the season. That kind of put a damper on maybe some recency bias and some people leaning towards a guy like Rudy Balsers. But yeah, let's not forget, this guy is a first-round pick, and he was a first-round pick for a reason. Obviously, he's a big guy. He can put shots on net, and obviously he's got that scoring touch too. So right now, I think Josh Norris, because he plays the middle of the ice and because of the size he has, it's uh it's starting to tip the scales in in his favor for me. Uh, Rudy Balsers, of course, his numbers a little bit skewed. He had some injury troubles to start the season as well. But as this one goes down the wire, it's fun. Sometimes you compare guys that go um, cross to the opposite teams when they get uh, traded, and you're comparing them who won the trade. Right now, it's kind of fun for Sens fans to sit back and say, well, how well did we win this trade, and who is going to be the crown jewel of this deal? And what's even more fun, as you mentioned, that there's another big-time prospect coming down the way. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit more later with our tankathon, where it's going to come, but that first-round pick from San Jose, too. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these three young players in next year uh, doing whatever they are at whatever level they're playing at. 
Only one opportunity to have a crown jewel from the Mark Stone trade, and that's Eric Branstrom. He's up to five assists in three games since his last recall. I'm still not completely sold, uh, especially that he's ready right now. Thought there were a few uh, decision-making issues last night. Um, trying to trying to be too fancy with like cross seam passes that weren't working. Um, yeah, a lot a lot of passes that weren't on the tape uh, is what I especially noticed. But again, if this is a year where he stays in Belleville, that's fine with me. Especially when Will Landon gets back, I see Will Landon as a guy who's further ahead. Of course, we'll need to see how he plays after missing the entirety of this season. But um, it's good to note that Branstrom is finding a way to put the puck or, or get on the score sheet. Still no goals since his latest recall. Um, just the one on the season, but five assists in three games is still looking good. And Dak did a great job at keeping it a one-goal game. Made a few awesome saves in the third period. Uh, he seems to have really just taken over the Belleville net. Uh, Gustafson had, did get the last start going into tonight, but... Since making his first AHL start on November 30th, Dak's already up to 10 games. So uh, we'll, we'll really be interested to see what the trend is once um, Hogberg, or rather uh, Nielsen, um, hopefully can get healthy. Of course, concussions, nothing to, nothing to joke at, but um, it, I'm really curious. But the, the decision got put off because first it was Anderson hurt, and then almost at an identical moment when Anderson returned, Nielsen went down. So an extended look for Hogberg in the National League, which is good, but even more impressive, it makes uh, getting Dak into the net uh, a priority. Now, the the ugly of that game is that Belleville was up 2-0 and found a way to lose the game. Uh, not something you'd like to see, especially that was their last home game until the end of the month. Uh, January 25th will be the next time they're on home ice. They're on an eight-game, 16-day road trip. Parley, what do, you, what do you think a successful road trip would look like? If they break 500, is that good, or would you expect it to be a little better? Last night's game changes that for me, because if you looked at it and they were able to walk into this road trip with a win, they would have jumped themselves into second in the North Division. So walking away 500 on an eight-game, like you mentioned, 16-day road trip, that can be a little bit of a... a, little bit of a uh, a drag, you know, riding the buses in the American League level. But now that you lose that game, you didn't take stranglehold of that second place spot. You're not walking onto the road. I think you got to win. I would love to see them go over 500, win five, six games on this road trip. I don't think it's too much to ask for them. But last night's game really changed a lot for me because I was excited for the possibility of them uh, kind of switching spots with Utica in the in the uh, North Division there. And uh, it would have just been one point. I in second place that they had the lead on them and the Marlies, but uh, it would have been really fun to see them hop in a second and walk onto the road. But now this is where you, you got to be a professional, right? These young guys are professionals. Now you got to go out. I think five or six games on this road trip would be absolutely massive. Walk back into the CAA, uh, right back in the same position, if not better in the standings and get to work on home ice after that with some more confidence. Yeah, what's worse about you mentioning they could have been in second place? They would have jumped Utica. So, of course, with yeah. Utica getting the two points, now it's a three-point swing with the Toronto Marlies entrenched in the middle. Good news is they'll have a ton of opportunity to play these these teams even further. Their next home game actually is against Utica, of course. Why wouldn't it be? Uh, lots of divisional play in the American Hockey League. But uh, I think, yeah, five would be good. Six, even better. They're going to play two of those games in Manitoba against a Moose team that's, uh, you know, not very good. Only 18 wins in 38 games uh, with 20 losses. They took care of them on home ice earlier this season. 
But it'll be an interesting time. It's going to be a gut-check time with Balsers and Batherson not available up in the NHL. Of course, they're two best players, although two of their players did make it into Craig Button's top 50 NHL-affiliated prospects. Uh, I'm a big fan of Craig Button. Uh, I know everyone uh, can poke holes in the insiders, but they put their, uh, their neck on the line by making these lists. And the Ottawa Senators led all teams with five players in their top 50, including number 50, the Bean himself, Shane Pinto, um, as he was not ranked. I'll go one by one with the players and just let me know what kind of you expect of them. Uh, we'll start at the bottom with the Bean after an unreal World Juniors. Well, I'm going to hop in right on what the coattails of what Pierre from Orleans was saying and that he couldn't slot in to a top nine, top six role in the middle of the ice down the road for the Senators. He showed a lot of character, but not only that, he kind of has that nose for the net. He understands his game. He's got that great uh, play on the power play out front, which, I mean, is a spot that doesn't really need to be to be uh, filled in the Ottawa lineup right now with Kachuk, obviously, but he seems like a guy that can create and knows how to play with skilled players. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him slot into a top six role in the NHL at one point, just because of the way he was able to handle playing with very talented guys on his lines in the world juniors. Yeah, definitely. And then he came back. I think I mentioned last, uh, last show that he came back and uh, immediately scored a goal um, back uh, with the North Dakota Fighting Eagles is what it was. I think I had some trouble with that last time. I think, but I'll let it pass. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to figure out one of these other guys' names. I'm going to make you (laughs) say it when we get there. But next up, we've already kind of gushed over Josh Norris. You think he should be a little higher here than number 44, where he ranked on Button's list? Yeah, I do because a lot of the guys ahead of them of him are still playing junior hockey and I get it they're at a younger age and who knows where their development will take them in the next year or so but being so consistent and having 20 goals at a pro level in the American League and what we can say is probably the toughest division in the AHL uh it's very surprising that he's only at 44 I would have liked him a little bit higher again who knows where he'd be without that injury last season um so yeah maybe maybe this one was a little more kiltered to guys that are a little bit younger so that they're uh their potential is a little bit higher because of their age, but Josh Norris with 20 goals at a pro level already, I, I would have liked to see him probably in like the 30s. Just ahead of him on that, uh, there's one player in between. Kind of funny because Ottawa traded back from the position where the the New York Rangers ended up taking Keandre Miller. He is right between Josh Norris and who would be the uh, next sense prospect at number 42? Jacob Bernard Docker. Jacob. Uh, another guy playing for North Dakota Fighting Eagles, I think you said. That is a weird, weird school name. But Well, it uh, used to be the Fighting CU. But, of course, with right, uh, right. with the progressiveness, they, they can't say that anymore, apparently. Yeah, Fighting Eagles is PC for sure, I guess. Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, though, he had a great showing at uh, the World Juniors. Uh, he's golden now, forever. Uh, I think he's been playing very solidly, and... Very cool that Henry mentioned from Sense Prospects when he was on the show kind of teeing up the World Juniors that he's third on the best team in the NCAA in points. So it's pretty impressive to see what he's been able to do this year. And uh, one thing that was kind of we weren't expecting to see from him was a lot of point getting potential. But we mentioned it a couple shows ago too when he walked the blue line there, kind of pulled it back into his feet and let a wrister go. That was a big goal for him in the World Juniors. And uh, what everything I saw from him I liked. He's a fifth from that gold medal team in terms of uh, these ranked prospects. Dylan Cousins, 
uh, was ninth on this list. Connor McMichael, 19th. The goalie, Joel Hoffer, at 29. And that then was a surprise Nolan, Yeah, that was pretty high. He jumped up in a lot of rankings. And then Nolan Foote at 38, just ahead of Jacob Bernard Docker, who has 17 points in 17 games at North Dakota right now. Then we get to go all the way up to 32. Another member from the World Junior Team. He's got 16 points in 23 games with Ilvis in the SM Liga. Lassie Thompson. One thing that I was expected to see from him was a lot of point-getting ability in the World Juniors, but what I was almost more excited what I saw from him when he wasn't putting up a lot of points, and I think that's because he showed poise, and a lot of times guys can come into the league and uh, they have all that point-getting ability, but then they don't really know how to play the game that well. But what I saw from Lassie Thompson was he's poised, he knows how to play with the puck, he understands positional play, so once he gets to the National League level, hopefully that's something that... Is kind of a smooth transition for him. And then that potential we know he has to put up points kind of comes along with him getting to know and getting comfortable in the NHL game. So he might not be jumping off the score sheet right away when he gets to Ottawa, whenever that happens to be. But I'm pretty uh, pretty confident in what I've seen from him this season that he'll be able to come into the lineup and kind of be a mainstay when he gets there. And then once he progresses in his game and gets more comfortable at the NHL level, that's maybe when we'll see the Tom bomb come out and he'll get some more power play minutes. And that's when the numbers will start to rise from him. But I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw with Lassie Thompson. Eric Branstrom leading the way for Sens prospects, although he did fall 13 spots in the ranking after being 11th last year. Um, what do you think here going forward? I mentioned earlier that I think he should play the rest of the year in Belleville. Are you on the same uh, wavelength there? Yeah, he's the exact opposite of what I just said with Lassie Thompson. I think he does need some more time to learn the game and learn positionally where he should be. So I agree completely. The AHL is the right place to be doing that, especially when the team is playing important hockey in Belleville. You know, he's not going to get lost down there just kind of in the, uh, in the the main uh, the monotonous of the AHL, sometimes uh, he's got an actual shot to make a playoff run here, and I think there's a lot of young guys down there that are excited to play. But what I mean is the opposite of Thompson is he's got all the offensive flair in the world when he comes to the NHL level, but he doesn't maybe understand how to play his game yet. So, uh, yeah, development in the AHL, and hopefully he puts his entire game together and shows uh, why he's still in that top 25 on Button's list. I got so rattled when, obviously, friend of the show, we got to stand up for Drake Batherson. But Craig Button did clear the air today after we tweeted at him. He said he would have been top 15 for sure, but because he's up with the Senators and we believe is up for good, we did not include him. Now, Drake, um, rather, Bruce Garriock, during one of his intermission things, said when they bring Drake up, they want it to be for good. And then when Duclair got hurt, everyone thought that it was just a slide-in situation because Balsers had already been up. You know, give him another taste. But Craig Button believes it's for good. So we tweeted at Send Central. You can have your say if you agree. We said, like Craig Button, do you believe that Drake Batherson has played his last game in Belleville? Now, this was early after I traveled back from Belleville last night. Didn't get a whole lot of sleep. Uh, maybe I should have clarified a bit more. I did mean to say regular season games. Through 183 votes so far, 55% believe no, 44% believe yes. However, we're, we are getting lots of uh, replies of people saying that obviously he'll be back down for the AHL playoffs. That's a bit of a no-brainer, but um, 
we we meant regular season, although just have your say. Whatever you want it to make it believe. Now, Logan Brown, uh, I know Craig Button's not the biggest Logan Brown guy from talking to him. And uh, Alex Formanton, I wish had got a bit of love, but, you know, there's only 50. The Sens already have five, so uh, we're not going to get too um, judgy on that one. And then you had a, a goalie-friendly show note on that one as well, Parley. Yeah, it seems like goalies are getting a lot more looks than they used to. Have. Uh, we mentioned Hofer climbing the ranks there, and he's one of eight guys in the top 50, and which was even more impressive or kind of surprising, I guess, would be the more correct way of saying it, was there was four players of the top 15 were goaltenders in this year's uh, rankings for Craig Button. Uh, that, that's just surprising for me because we it used to be kind of, you know, you get to the NHL level and, 26 is kind of where young goalies get their their uh, game underneath them and stuff like that. It is important when you look at a guy like Igor Shesterkin, who is leading this top 50 prospects list, that he is 24 years old. So he's not he's not your um, your regular coming to the NHL at around 20 year mark. He is a little bit older, so that's something to a little bit pump the brakes on. But uh, it's pretty wild to see that eight guys made the top 50 that are between the pipes. None of those goalies play for the San Jose Sharks, although they could sure use it. Their 151 goals against are the most in the Western Conference. They currently sit with 42 points, only ahead of the other two California teams. Remember when that used to be the trip of death? Well, not anymore. Mm -hmm. Anaheim with 39 points, Los Angeles with 38. Should note that Anaheim has two games in hand on San Jose and Los Angeles. We hate, well, we not hate, we don't cheer injuries but it is worth noting that Logan Couture, the captain, former Ottawa 67, um, will be out, it looks like, six to eight weeks with a fractured ankle. That is tough news. We hope he gets healthy. Uh, you never want to see a guy hurt, but it's impossible to see that news and not think, oh, my God, this could mean some more losses for the uh, San Jose Sharks. Yeah, Kitchener native too, so right around my neck of the woods, about 45 minutes away, half an hour away from me. But yeah, after the playoff run he had last year, I thought he was going to explode on the scene this year and be that number one guy, especially with uh, Joe Thornton and guys and Joe Pavelski kind of stepping out of the lineup. Uh, I thought he was going to step up and be their, their leader in the forward group. It's an unfortunate injury and in what's been an unfortunate year for San Jose. Yeah, well said, Parley. And then um, just to give you a Shark Tank update, they did have a regulation loss to St. Louis on Tuesday, 2-2-1 two, two, and one on their road trip. Uh, they're going to be back home, so we'll get into all that. But I think without further ado, Parley, do you have the Tankathon up and ready to go for our one spin? Here we go. Ooh, this is a tough one today, Ross. No way. First off, let's notice that Florida jumped 14 spots into the number one overall. Oh, my God. But I Ottawa, still think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think so, too. Ottawa uh, slipped down to fifth with their own pick, down two. And this is a tough one as well. The San Jose pick turned Ottawa pick because of the Carlson trade is down two spots into the eight spots. So picking six and, or sorry, five and eight. That would be a tough pill to swallow. All right, my turn here. Oh boy, for the first time in Tankathon Send Central history, the Ottawa Senators with San Jose's pick. Love it. First overall. Um, and then their own pick fifth. So we've got our first. If, if that pick is first overall, Ottawa's can drop three. That's fine. Who yeah. cares? Um, so there you go. The first 
And it only took how many spins? Three, four. It was the fifth spin, right? Because we did three last time with Pillar. Yep. And then now we've got it. So, so far leading the way, though, the most common spot for the Ottawa Senators uh, to to uh, draft would be eighth overall. We've got three out of the uh, out of the spins here. So, um, I guess something to keep in mind. But, yeah, just a fun little thing at the end. If this is the first time you've heard it, we're going to do one spin of the Tankathon all the way up until the draft lottery, which happens right after the regular season. But I think that'll do it here for us on the Locked On Senators podcast. For Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. A rare Friday game, not Thursday, but tomorrow, Friday, January 10th. The Ottawa Senators will be in Detroit to take on the only team with a better chance at Lafreniere. Thanks for listening, and go Sens go!